Brennan Kanoff with ChampionshipBBQ.tv, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Yay! Let's go! We'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. And welcome to the Really Big Barbecues Thankful Show. This is the show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. The show originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame City, Bomb City, USA, Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I'm your program host. Greg Rempe, happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evenings, a live fire fun and revolver. If you want to jump in or connect with the show, here's how you do that. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to Greg at the BBQ Central Show.com. Follow us on all the social media channels at BBQ Central Show. And be sure to subscribe to the show podcast feed on your favorite podcast platform. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, along with a ability to subscribe to the newsletter which is thebbqcentralshow.com. And if you aren't subscribed to that newsletter, here's what's going on during the show this evening in the next 120 minutes or so. First up, first timer to the show. In fact, the first hour is full of first timers to the show. If you are a fan of Texas barbecue, barbecue in general, barbecue on YouTube, pit building barbecue, then certainly you have heard the brand Chud's Barbecue. And after a long time, Long chasing and wait, negotiations, conversations, and the like. Bradley Robinson will be joining the show for the very first time. And as we were sound checking last night, first, I think it's safe to say that Brad is going to be in a special position this evening that few other centralites and guests have ever done. He's going to be in his traditional shooting location. We sound checked. He's got the mic. Everything sounds good. He'll have a nice barbecue pit behind him. I don't know if he'll be cooking anything. So we're not technically a cooking show during this time, but certainly if he is cooking something, we'll talk all about it. But we were conceptualizing how the segment might go this evening because there's so much content and so many different avenues that we could go with as far as Bradley's concerned. But I wanted to get his thought about it, and in the end, we figure chronological, he's the first time in, we'll get his background, how he got into barbecue, how he got into restaurant barbecue, and then how he kind of has broken off on his own and now created this juggernaut of Chud's Barbecue. So that's what we're looking at tonight, 14 past the hour, and then 35 past, we'll be joined by another first-timer, and a first-time... Having the United States government on from the USDA, Meredith Carruthers will be joining us. 
So we'll talk to Meredith about her background, how she got hooked up with USDA. Actually, she's part of FSIS, and that falls under the purview of USDA. So we can talk about the history of all of that, what they're responsible for, how they come up with these guidelines, how they go about changing guidelines. Because as we all know, years ago, pork's internal finish temperature changed dramatically from you know, whatever it was, 165, 175, 180 or whatever, to now 145. And to me, I like to have it hit 145 on the carryover. I don't like to take it to 145, bring it off, and then have it carry over from there. I'm a very big believer in a lot of pink in the pork. It's safe, tastes really good. The mouthfeel is really good. Great finished product there, so we'll talk to Meredith about all that stuff. Somebody saying in the instant meat or <laughs> in the instant chat, uh, any horse meat questions? Great idea. I didn't have any sausage king, but if I can remember, I certainly might toss those in. Why not? So Meredith Carruthers will close out the first hour, then we'll move to the second hour, and it is her first of four visits here this evening. Quarterly guest. She was in a couple months ago making up for a miss, but now she's back in on time. Jess Priles from Hardcore Carnivore. JessPriles.com. So if you are interested in live fire recipes, JessPriles.com is the place to go for those. If you want gear and rubs and merch and all that other fun stuff, HardcoreCarnivore.com is the website to get all of that stuff. And then depending on how long we go with Jess, we may or may not have some time left over. We can have that open. I'm not sure exactly how we would communicate with each other. As I will mention here in just a second, I believe my club deck piece of software has taken a dump and that does not allow me to interact with you the way that I want to through clubhouse. That's why there's no feed there. Even though you might see one alerting, that there's one starting at nine, it's never going to start. So don't even bother going into it. However, Amazon has promised me by the next show, I will have the proper dongle and I'll be able to hook my phone up to it. And that just might be a better experience for everybody anyway, but we'll certainly see about that. But no audio clubhouse this evening, making that two weeks in a row. And that's how your show is going to shake out. Maybe we'll go with instant messages, YouTube chat comments or emails to make it fair. Know this, that if you're going on podcast and we're trying to win anything, rest assured, podcasters, that somebody has already stepped up during the live show and snatched the prize. Bradley Robinson, Meredith Carruthers, first hour, Jess Pryle, second hour, and then potentially open after that. Don't forget, you can follow me socially at BBQ Central Show on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Snapchat. We say good evening to those of you watching tonight through one of our streaming platforms video-wise. You can go to Facebook and Twitch slash BBQ Central Show. You can also watch on YouTube slash RD Rempe. As I had mentioned a little bit ago, no clubhouse audio this evening, so don't look for that. We do have a new poll going on this week. So if you're over on YouTube, I would hope that you are taking part in the YouTube question. If you're not watching on YouTube and you're just doing it on Facebook or somewhere else, you can jump in and email me your thoughts. I'll add them into the accumulation. The question for the week is this in general, are you a fan of activated charcoal rubs? And currently 41% of you 
are saying yes, 29% of you are saying no, and the other half of you are saying, what the F is activated charcoal, rubs. Wow. I told Sam, the cooking guy, weeks ago that those were overplayed, and we got into it a little bit. So less than half, and continues to shrink. Now 39% of you are saying yes, you are a fan in general of activated charcoal rub. So let's start here this uh, let's start here this morning though this evening. Let's talk about the growing trend of barbecue competitions. These events are popping up all over the country. They're a great way for pitmasters and wannabe pitmasters to showcase their skills, hone their skills, and compete for cash prizes, bragging rights, trophies. Some of the most popular barbecue competitions include events like Memphis in May World Championship Barbecue Contest, the American Royal World Series of Barbecue, of course, the Jack Daniels World Championship Invitational. Another big event in the industry is the World Food Championships, which is the largest competition in food sport. Believe it or not, the event features over 450 culinary teams at last check from around the globe competing in various categories, including barbecue. This competition is a great way for pitmasters to showcase their skills and earn a spot in the coveted World Food Championships final table. And on the topic of trends... We're seeing a rise in popularity of exotic meats in barbecue competitions and on the restaurant menus. These meats include things like kangaroo. Many of you have had alligator, but what about python? Yes, that's on the rise as well. It's exciting to see the pitmasters pushing the boundaries and experimenting with new flavors and techniques. And for those of you looking to get into the world of barbecue competitions, there's many resources available like the show to help you get started or the Kansas City Barbecue Society. I believe the Memphis Barbecue Network is still around. All great organizations to check into as they offer classes, events, resources for pitmasters of all levels. And finally, I would like to remind you about the big upcoming event, Memphis in May's World Championship Barbecue Contest, which is one of the most prestigious events in the barbecue world each and every year. It will be held in Memphis, Tennessee in Tom Lee Park. May 12th through the 14th. Great opportunity if you are traveling in that area to check out all the pitmasters and watch them showcase their skills and talents and compete for cash prizes and bragging rights. Why not? So, we are ready to rock and roll. Brad Robinson from Chud's Barbecue is coming up here shortly. Pits and Spits by the way, has the best-looking, best-cooking smokers and grills. Pits and Spits offering a full family of products, including traditional smokers, wood pellet grills, charcoal grills, travel grills, hybrid pits, fire pits, and much more. Pits and Spits has been one of the only American fabrication shops that's focused on smokers and grills for almost 40 years. Why is that important? They're able to put an emphasis on quality and design, locally sourced materials, and unmatched attention to detail. From the fully welded barrels to the heavy gauge steel, they bring both function and beauty to life. Pits and Spits builds every product with the intention that it'll get passed down from generation to generation. Whether you're into competition barbecue or you just want to take the barbecue and grilling game in the backyard to the next level, 
There's a product for you. Believe me. Check them out at pitsandspits.com slash Central. That's pits, P-I-T-T-S, and spits, S-P-I-T-T-S, dot com slash Central And use promo code BBQ Central for a free spice pack with your order of $500 or more. Once again, pitsandspits.com slash Central. And when you accumulate $500 or more at checkout, use the promo code BBQ Central for a free spice pack. Why not? We're looking for Bradley Robinson from Chud's Barbecue as we come out of the break. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Casting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. Visit CookinPellets.com for more information or to purchase. You can also check out all the other cool items they have for sale to add a little smoke to whatever it is you have on that cooker. My first guest tonight has been quite the popular name in the barbecue scene. You might have heard of him from his time at Leroy and Lewis, or perhaps because of his pit-building prowess, or maybe you're a YouTube consumer. You've run across his many well-produced barbecue videos. No matter the way, it's safe to say, the landscape of live-fire folks He's 100% legit, and I'm happy to have him on the show this evening. We welcome first-timer to the show, the creator of Chud's Barbecue brand, Bradley Robinson. Joining me, Brad, true or false in 2023 as it relates to brisket and Texas barbecue joints? If you aren't knocking brisket out of the park by this time, you are headed out of business. I would say that is true and false in one respect. If you are going to open a joint in Texas and you don't have brisket mastered, then you're going to get shut down immediately. But at the same time, there's also a growing trend of seeing less brisket on the menu and using barbecue, Texas style barbecue as more of a blank canvas for other things because, you know, when everyone's cooking brisket, prices skyrocket. So if you play it right, you can do either way. But yeah, if you're in Texas, you got to, you got to know how to, handle a big old brisket i'm gonna follow up with you in a few moments on some stuff daniel vaughn and i were talking about towards the end of the year but i also have from time to time a gent by the name of chuck blount from the san antonio express news or maybe it's news express whichever one he had made a fairly substantial claim in the summer months last year that the smoked hamburger was going to become a huge trend in Texas. You were going to find it on all the menus and for many reasons that he listed on why it was going to make sense. Uh, Do you think smoked hamburgers or smoked burgers in general is something that is going to take off at any point? I do, yeah. I mean, when I first started at Leroy and Lewis, funny enough, how I got the job was because I threw a 4th of July party where Evan Leroy and I 
or Evan Leroy came over. He's the owner, pitmaster of Leroy and Lewis. Longtime friend. He hired me at Friedman's. That was my first barbecue job. But long story short, I was cooking some barbecue burgers in the backyard, and I was right about to leave Friedman's. And he, he tasted the burger, and he said, this is great. I want to put it on the menu. So he basically hired me to come to Leroy and Lewis with that burger, and it has since become probably the most popular menu item. We <laughs> sell – well, they sell – hundreds of them a week which is crazy and there is that weird balance of is a burger barbecue yay or nay i mean it's smoked it's got a bark but it is not traditional barbecue in a sense but it does have a place and from a food cost perspective it makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense because if you're trimming briskets properly you have a lot of extra fat a lot of extra meat and uh, when you do a burger not only is it like an individual serving, so it's you don't have to slice it. That saves time. And also from a loss perspective, because when you cook a brisket, it, you're going to lose 50% of your weight in water and fat render and all that. But a burger, which is also made of the very same brisket, barely loses anything because you're cooking it to a big, juicy, medium rare or something like that. So I think for those reasons that, yes, the burger will take off. And also a barbecue burger is absolutely delicious. So... I, I will uh, keep my eyes open for them, and they seem to be popping up all over the place. Brad Robinson joining us here on the show. ChudsBBQ.com is website. That's C-H-U-D-S-B-B-Q.com. So as we were sound checking yesterday, Brad, we were trying to figure out the best way to attack this interview, and I think we both agreed that chronological would be the best way to go since it's your first time on the show. So for the folks that aren't familiar with you or your backstory uh, give us a little bit of history on you. Where are you from originally? What was the family life like? And then we can build in from there. Yeah, it's my first time, Greg. I'm a barbecue central virgin. That's right. Not anymore. Now you're a whore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now we'll cover the bases, and then next time we can get into some more nitty-gritty. But uh, long story short, I grew up in New Hampshire, born and raised. I went to college up in Bangor, Maine, which is very north. And after that, so I got a degree in audio engineering. And after all that time in cold town, New England, it was time to go somewhere a little bit warmer, a little bit more of a lively city, someplace that someone in their early 20s could have some fun. And also, it's the live music capital of the world. So with an audio engineering degree coming here seemed like a great idea. Also, back in 2012, uh, living costs were pretty cheap around these parts, but that has changed dramatically since then. So Austin seemed like a great place to be. So I made my way down here. And to that point, cooking in general, barbecue, everything like that was completely not on my mind. I was a notoriously terrible cook. But when you tell people you're moving to Texas, everyone's like, are you going to try brisket? And I remember saying like, what is brisket? Are you saying biscuit, but with a weird (laughs) accent? So I Google imaged it and I saw these big chunks of like burnt meat and I was like no man I like my steak medium rare I mean I'll give it a try blah 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 and uh, so I landed here and I went out to a local barbecue joint and had that first bite which kind of blew my mind because I'd never had anything like that you know barbecue in New Hampshire and Maine is not really a big thing other than burgers and dogs so it kind of set me on that path to one, barbecue is expensive, so I can't afford to eat it every day, so I might as well learn how to make it. And that got me into the backyard cooking scene, and it kind of blossomed from there. So as you were growing up, you weren't from a family that was interested in live fire, maybe burgers, dogs, like some traditional grilling stuff, but nothing other than that? Yeah, I mean, my dad was always the king of the Weber kettle, 
growing up, as most fathers should be, I believe. And, uh, you know, he would grill pork chops, chicken breast, steaks, things like that. But nothing that ever really, you know, changed the course of my life. No offense to my dad. Well, I think we can all then, can know, relate to that story. Uh, we have uh, my dad had. I wish, I wish I had the Weber kettle that he had because it had the three dampers at the bottom, like old school, so you could really bank the coals off to one side and just utilize that one damper, close the other two off, and you know not have that nice uh, clean-out system that they have these days. But you know those are just things I didn't realize when I was in high school that I sh- really should have been keeping track of and trying to put an anchor on before they ended up moving to Florida. But neither here nor there. So as you get into Austin, did you work as a audio engineer at all? Did you produce any bands or anything like that? I did a little bit. I never actually got in like too deep into it because the audio industry is pretty tough, especially because it's not like most industries where you can go to a job website. It's a lot about who you know. So when you're brand new to a city with very little experience other than a college degree, it, it was tough breaking in. But I did the first uh, two, two and a half years. I was working with several people. It was a lot of freelance stuff, mm. which took me on some pretty wild gigs. You know, I was working with this one guy who just did live sound, which was, which is a very broad topic. So like one night I'd be the karaoke guy. The next night I'd be doing microphone mixing for a T-ball game. I did a high school prom, you know, did a jamboree at UT. It was, it was wild. I mean, it was a very fun time just, uh, you know, doing all these different things. We did a haunted house at a middle school one time. It was, it was bizarre. But uh, doing all this freelance kind of work, it, it wears on you after a while because some weeks mm. the paychecks are great and then some weeks you'll go without anything. So that's when I decided that I, it was time for me to get something a little more stable. And this was in the middle of me perfecting backyard barbecue or at least what I thought I was doing at the time. And I was contemplating my life while cooking a brisket. And I was like, maybe I should just try this because – as any backyard cook will tell you, if you feed enough friends and family, they all tell you, like, you should open your own place. I'm like, well, I don't know the first thing about restaurants, so maybe I'll get a restaurant job and see how I fit in with actual pitmasters and actual cooks. So it was the end of 2015. It was like September. And I said, all right, I'm going to get a job at a local place. I'm going to do it for six months to get it out of my system. And then come the new year, I'm going back into the audio industry with my head clear and I never left, so here we are. <laughs> so you started at Freedman's. Was that just the application in and get the job kind of thing? Yeah, I hopped on Craigslist, and I just typed in barbecue, and I saw they were hiring. So I had, uh, I had heard of Evan because he had made his way into several of those early YouTube videos. Like Zagat did a lot of uh, exploring Texas barbecue, and because he was the the most like chefy of the barbecue pitmasters, he, he had some acclaim. So I had heard of him, but I had never eaten his food. So I went up to Friedman's, which is in uh, West Campus here in Austin, the UT campus. And I sat down at the bar, I had a nice glass of bourbon, and I tried his food. And then I went back and I talked to him. And he basically said, come in tomorrow for a stage. So I then went to the bathroom and Googled, what is a stage? Because <laughs> again, I was, I, I was super green. And I came back that, the next day. I worked for like 12 hours and got the job. And yeah, six months later, I was the sous chef. Six months after that, I had Evan's job. Hmm. And then so it was, hit the ground running because when you're eager to learn, 
as opposed to eager to get a paycheck. It makes it makes uh, progressing a lot easier at the very least. What? Whether you're looking at your time at Friedman or as you transition over at uh, Leroy and Lewis, honing the barbecue skills, how do you know when you've reached some kind of an elite level? And to me, for as long as I've done the show, so it's I think we're going on our 16th year of live shows, two years prior to that just as a podcast, something like that. Thank you. Um, we've often talked about define what pitmaster is or what does pitmaster mean to you? We haven't really delved back into that question over the last couple of years because just as being around all of you men and women that are pitmasters, I've tried not to use the word master. That that almost seems like it should be reserved for ninjas and specialty doctors and things like this. Uh, and for me, I just say, well, look, I'm just the guy that goes out in the backyard. I'm a backyard cook. And maybe my skills are a little sharper than the next guy in the cul-de-sac, but certainly wouldn't call myself a pit master. So how do you know personally when you think you've reached an exceptional level? That's honestly kind of the main drive that I have is I want to earn the title pit master. And like you said, it's a touchy subject because using the word master is something that is you know reserved for the upper tier and if you're going to just be cooking pork ribs in the backyard and say i'm the pit master then there's a lot of ego that comes along with that statement and it's tough because there's also no other term for it like if you say i'm a barbecue guy or a cook or whatever people don't know what you're talking about if you say i'm a pit master it's like oh you cook you're cooking barbecue so i've always leaned into it because Again, like it says on my tax forms that I am a pit master. That is just my job title, not necessary, not necessarily an egotistical statement. But also, I want to earn that title. And the way I do that is trying to master the pit in every way possible, whether that's, you know, the, the staples, you know, your briskets, pork bellies, beef ribs, all that sort of stuff. But then there's also the Carolina side of barbecue, like trying to master crispy skin whole hog. And then... You can get into the weird side where it's like, I'm going to cook dessert on my pit. I'm going to cook, you know, at whatever it may be and just trying to be as well-rounded as possible. And then along the way somewhere, I decided I want to take it one step further and I want to build the pit that I'm cooking. And then after that, I wanted to learn butchery. So at one point, like one of the, be the most gratifying moments in my barbecue journey was when I butchered a pig down to turn it into sausage and or pork ribs and or pork chops and then cook that on a pit that I built. And it's like, if I grew the tree, that's the only thing I'm missing. And can I be a pit master now, please? Does this count? <laughs> Bradley Robinson but, joining you know, us here on uh, the show, chudsbbq.com, his website, if you want to check it out here while we're talking. So Daniel Vaughn and I uh, talked, as I had mentioned a couple months ago, and we were bringing up a few items that he had recently done articles on and one of them was the foil boat method for briskets and uh, you evan kind of credited with this whole popularization if you could give us a little background on the evolution of this technique yeah the foil boat is definitely a, a welcome addition to the barbecue lexicon it originated at friedman's where my predecessor uh, the first sous chef at Friedman's was not the most 
how do I say this nicely? No, he didn't have the best attention to detail. So back then, what Evan's process was, was to fully wrap a brisket in foil, the old Texas crutch, as many people refer to it. And they would go around and open them, probe the brisket, close them back up. And one day, in a bit of hurry or laziness, we will never know, he left, uh, he left them all open. I forgot to close them back up. And they pulled them off. Evan was pissed because he's like, you're not following the rest of the law. And then they cut into it and they realized that leaving it exposed helps render the fat cap, helps gives a really nice crispy bark, which is something that is the main benefit of the foil bow. So essentially it's a half wrap. You're just boating the bottom half and leaving the top exposed, which again is going to help build a really impenetrable uh, crispy bark, but at the same time render that fat cap down. So if you did a poor trim job on it it's going to continue to render which is great and at the same time the underside of the brisket is where the majority of the lean muscle is so being the fact that it's boated all the fat that renders is basically going to braise or confit the underside and it's uh just a new technique that's a little bit different than paper and when i came around starting talking about it i think the world was ready to hear something other than the beef tallow paper wrap because that was about 10 years old, but when I started my YouTube channel, so glad to uh, see it catch on. Do you think the foil boat is something that's starting to proliferate across barbecue restaurants? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely starting to pick up. I see a lot more of it with the backyard cooks, especially the pellet grill community seems to be really latching onto it because it's open based and pellet grills tend to produce less smoky flavor and less bark so they've really latched on and i've done it myself and it works well as far as restaurants are concerned i think we've, we're still a few years behind there's definitely a handful in the top 50 that are doing it or at least in texas i've, I've seen several places that are taking it on but uh you know it's still aaron franklin is still ruling the world of if you own a barbecue joint so i think the butcher paper still has a good good few years left in it Daniel and I also talked about the lost appreciation for a savory rib, at least in the Texas area. Maybe that's where it started, but it's uh, candied up quite a bit over the last handful of years or so. Is that something you ever see coming back into popularity, or does the public just demand a sweeter rib, and that's just the way it's going to be? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think I was listening to you guys talk about that, and it got me thinking about it, and what I was thinking is I think the sweet rib is really taken off because when you look at a barbecue tray, especially something Daniel Vaughn is going to order, you've got savory brisket, savory beef rib, salty sausage. All the sides are pretty much savory unless you're getting a banana pudding. So having that contrast of a sweet, sticky kind of candy rib helps differentiate it on the, on the plate as a whole. But that being said, I, I'm a big fan of both types of ribs. I love to say it. When I cook ribs, they're savory ribs. Maybe a little bit of barbecue sauce, but it's mostly like salt, pepper, garlic, some maybe some hot sauce on there. And that's kind of an interesting point to talk about because ribs have always been like the little brother of the barbecue world. Like they like brisket is always the king of the conversation or the big beef rib, but pork ribs, as far as tradition is concerned, whichever uh, – you know, state we're talking about. They can all, there's always a bit of variation. And I think there's a place for both of them. But yeah, I think the savory rib will make a comeback. 
We've only scratched the surface, Brad. Uh, we are out of time here this evening, but next time around, we'd love to get into the pit building business. And then, of course, go headlong into the YouTube stuff because that continually fascinates me with all the different facets there. But appreciate the look back and where you're at currently. And let's do it again sooner than later. Absolutely. Let me know. Time and place. I'll be there. All right. Thanks, Brad. There he is. Brad Robinson from Chud's Barbecue, the website chudsbbq.com. And as I had said, next time we will get into pit building. I didn't realize he was quite a prolific pit builder. And uh, somebody was showing me on my Twitter page that they had uh, like a the mini Chud or something like that. They were looked like a smaller grill, maybe like an ammo can type thing that... Uh, Texas grills used to make M grills used to make. So quite a prolific pit builder. Of course, he's got the rubs too. So he's got a whole bunch of different arms and legs inside the barbecue business. And we'll talk to him about that next time up. Meredith Carruthers is ready to go from USDA. We'll get to her in just one second. Big Papa Smokers is the one-stop online shop for all things barbecue, a curated selection of only the best outdoor cooking and grilling supplies, getting you on the path to better barbecue results in no time. Everything at BigPapaSmokers.com. Pitmaster approved by Sterling, Big Papa Ball himself. They have the 13 perfectly balanced flavors that transform ordinary meals into extraordinary. They also own Granny's Barbecue Sauce, so if you're looking for a new go-to sauce that will please everybody, Granny's traditional yet powerful flavors are one that you're going to want to check out. Great all by itself. Also can be used as the base sauce where you can trick it out from there if you so desire. Aside from the rubs and sauces, they are selling cookers as well. So if you're looking for a versatile smoker that's easy to use, you check out that Mac 2 Star General Pellet Cooker. Big Papa's the exclusive Mac dealer, even offering special packages. If you're not a fan of pellet smokers or you're not sure what cooker you need, why not give them a call and ask questions? 877-828-0727. That's 877-828-0727. Or shop their website at BigPapaSmokers.com. That's B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A Smokers.com. We're back with Meredith Carruthers right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Howard Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. And we thank Bradley Robinson for joining us last segment from Chuck's Barbecue. This portion brought to you by Fireboard. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. You can connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or via Bluetooth. If you have smart speakers in your home, there's a good chance that Fireboard integrates with those as well. Visit Fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232. My next guest is a first-timer to the show, and it's also the first time we've gone government on the show by bringing someone in from the FSIS, USDA. Did you know that the USDA does, from time to time, give out free meat thermometers? Oh, yes, and here to talk about that and talk about food safety as it relates to live fire 
is the public affairs specialist for the FSIS. We race to the hotline and welcome in Meredith Carruthers. Hey, Meredith, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am fabulous. Appreciate you making time for the show this evening. And before we get into a lot of the food safety questions, how the USDA, the FSIS, derive certain guidelines for us consuming public folks, a little background about yourself, how you... I got into this particular position, and then if you've done anything previous to this that had nothing to do with USDA. Totally. So I went to undergrad for food and nutrition. So I've always had an interest in food, food safety, how everything works from a science perspective. Um, I, when I was uh, getting towards graduating, decided I didn't really want to go the dietitian route, you know, having to be in a clinical setting. I wanted to do more of helping educate the public about food and nutrition. And I decided to get my master's in public health. And I stumbled across this internship at Food Inspection Service, educating consumers about food safety and felt like it was the perfect niche for me. And I haven't left. <laughs> really? Yep. So I've wow. been there since I graduated college and uh, grad school. And I've yeah going on about seven years now that I've been with FSIS and I've loved all of it. So are you located like in that general Virginia slash uh, Washington, D.C. area? Yep, I'm in the Virginia side. So my coworkers and I always have a little bit of a tip of, oh, are you Maryland or Virginia or D.C.? And I'm I'm team Virginia. <laughs> What's your assessment of the food scene, especially the live fire scene where you're at? And then compare and contrast those to the border skirmishes that you're just talking about. So I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? <laughs> yeah, just like what the live fire scene is like where you're at and then uh, compare those gotcha. to where your border skirmishes happen with your uh, coworkers. Yep. So we are at headquarters. And so we're doing a lot of the communicating, a lot of the assessing of different things going on, you know, answering media questions, answering consumer questions, doing more of that education based at headquarters versus uh, most of the other employees within the food safety and inspection service are out in the field. They're the ones actually in the plants, you know, making sure all of the food in slaughter processing facilities, all the meat and poultry specifically is safe and wholesome for American consumption. They're, you know, going out to retail facilities and checking that those labels are proper and that that food that's supposed to be inspected is <laughs> and, you know, all around going around making sure that your food is safe. When we talk about barbecue and grilling practices, uh, for those of us that have been in it for a while or we're doing our due diligence as we're getting into it, we know that there are specific temperatures for different proteins that have been determined to be safe. But how does the USDA mm -hmm. actually devise those guidelines in order to tell us take chicken breast to 165 or take pork to 145? Right. So we have a big team of scientists and people who are constantly evaluating, you know, the actual science of microorganisms and the bacteria, how they operate, what temperatures they reach lethality at, you know, how long they can be at a certain temperature before they've been there too long and potentially create those toxins that are heat resistant, can't be killed by cooking or reheating. So they're the ones that are assessing those and kind of passing those along to us. There are those different temperatures that are devised and there's different experiments done, you 
you know, to test how long things can be at certain temperatures, how fast they can cook, how high the temperature can get before those bacteria are killed and all of that. So we have our science team at FSIS constantly working on those and making sure that those temperatures are accurate and also producing a good quality product for consumers. So that way we're not telling you to create a hockey puck <laughs> per se when that's not necessarily desirable. For years, it was pork finishing really high, 170 or, or 175. I believe there was a fear of trigonosis or something like that. And then through mm -hmm. proper raising of uh, pork and uh, through other different kind of safety measures, the internal temperature requirement was brought down considerably. 145, I believe, is where the USDA is mm -hmm. calling pork at a finished temperature. I love to see pink and pork, as I was talking about in the open here. So how was that decision made to go that drastic? So again, it has to do with the testing and it also has to do with the time and temperature relationship. So I believe that part of that decision was, like you said, the kind of the presence of trichinosis and the pork industry and, and, you know, pork that's going out there and whatnot. But as that has significantly reduced and then also looking at a time and temperature relationship, that's, you know, based on you can have a certain high temperature or you can have a certain temperature for a certain amount of time and it'll continue to raise and produce that lethality. Um, with it with those it was kind of it was revised and that way can help bring that down maybe not have it cook as long to that high temperature that then creates more tough product you like you said not as much pink and whatnot in there so as through those tests and through that kind of assessment of the industry they're able to revise those those temperatures so where they're still safe for consumers but helping kind of address that that quality portion as well Meredith Carruthers joining us here on the show, public affairs specialist for the Food Safety and Inspection Service, or FSIS, a part of the USDA. Website USDA.gov. If you've never visited that website, I highly recommend it. A lot of great information over there, of course. Meredith, can you tell us about any research or initiatives the USDA is currently undertaking related to our live fire industry? Sure. So we actually have a five-year consumer research study that we are just finishing up and about to put together our years six through 10 to extend it even further. But what we're doing is we're actually doing observational research with consumers in a kitchen and picking each year, each iteration, we've picked a different kind of food safety behavior to try and actually observe consumers in a kitchen doing their food safety preparation or their food preparation and assessing those food safety behaviors that we're specifically targeting each year. And this past year, we actually did grilling. So we had consumers preparing hamburgers made of ground beef and also some brats. So that way we were looking at a burger with ground product and a sausage and looking at people and how they grill them and then how they take the internal temperature with a food thermometer. And so with that, we're able to kind of assess how people are grilling. Are we you know, seeing cross-contamination as a concern? Are we seeing food thermometer usage or not? And if we are seeing that thermometer usage where people put their thermometer so we can try and help tailor our communications for people to to really get that information out there in a way that people will receive it and also just kind of knowing what we even need to target in general so yes we just wrapped up that grilling study last year and put out a bunch of communications about it this past summer as we targeted summer grilling time frame and we're working on kind of shifting those communications for people we didn't know when they were originally rolled out i'm talking about things like impossible burger and beyond meat how they were really going to take hold in the market, but lo and behold, five, six years later, whatever it is, 
And we're not talking about the black bean burgers or anything like that, but this almost looks, almost feels like traditional ground beef. Do you guys evaluate that at all and give temperatures for that or because it's plant-based that doesn't have to be taken to, you know, 165 like regular ground beef would? Right. So that's not going to have the, you know, same concern as a raw meat or poultry product just because it is plant-based. But anytime that something's being produced in a facility, you do still want to kind of take that food safety perspective into mind. I haven't seen one of the packages recently to know if they have a recommended temperature on them, but obviously if they do, we would still advise to follow that. And then it's always a good idea to do plant products regardless to 165 just you know you're kind of by hitting that 165 you're covering all your basis for any potential bacteria that could be in that product you know again we all work tirelessly you know between us and fda to try and make sure your food is as safe as possible but as we see there are issues that happen sometimes and it's always best to try and take that extra step in your own home to make sure you're being as safe keeping your family safe from foodborne illness it's just our, our biggest thing is wanting people to avoid foodborne illness. So again, you won't see the same full concerns that you will with raw meat and poultry, but it's not to say that there wouldn't be any. So how does the USDA work with industry partners to promote safe and responsible grilling and barbecue practices? So of course, you know, we're working with our, our different producers who are making, you know, commercial barbecue products or grilled products that are going out into commerce. And so FSIS is in those facilities, making sure that food or that meat and poultry is staying safe before it gets processed and into packaging and going out to shelves. From my perspective on my team, we have different partners that we have uh, formed those partnerships with to share food safety information and to get that to their audiences as well. And especially during summer when grilling is at its peak, we have we have a whole summer comms plan. We push out that information to our partners to try and reach their audiences as well. A lot of our partners work with at-risk groups. Um, so those are people who are immunocompromised or, you know, children, people who are more susceptible to for foodborne illness. And so we make sure we get that in valuable information out to them, what steps to follow when you're grilling, making sure you're handling your stuff properly, helping them get food thermometers if they need them that way they can use those while they're grilling so that's kind of you know on a multifaceted way of of working with industry working with our partners getting information out to consumers all of that so i have a couple questions left before i let you go tonight and i appreciate the time uh, one is out of left field but for years i have tried to generate let's call it a grassroots movement to bring back consideration of horse meat for public consumption. And a lot of people take a dump on it because they've grown fond of horses or they see them as pets. I have no idea how the horse has jumped over the fence and made it with the dogs and the cats while every other animal ever on the face of the earth on the other side of the fence seems to be okay to shoot, kill, and eat no matter what. Squirrels, possums, mm -hmm. you name it. But not the horse. There has been a history of American eating mm -hmm. horse Typically, it's in really bad times, and horse meat isn't nearly as expensive as the beef counterpart. Is that just something that's never going to happen? Um, I knew like there was maybe talk of allowing some horse slaughter homes, but there wasn't also a subsidy, or there there wasn't the processing plant was going to have to pay for the inspectors to come in full boat, which pretty much makes it an effective non-start financially. So. It, have you heard of anything, my grassroots movement taking a hold and potentially bringing this around in a legal sense? 
So I haven't heard of anything. Um, I guess, you know, you can never say never, but it, I haven't heard anything. I think right now it's still obviously not an amenable species, mean it's, meaning it's not a species that FSIS requires inspection for or even allows inspection for. But again, I guess you just keep working. That's how grassroots efforts, you know, make headway. <laughs> is that something you would up. entertain? Like, w would you be down to try it? Or is it, is it too, is the horse too cute? You can't get over it. On a personal level, I'm usually down to try most anything once, uh, you know, I've had alligator, had frog legs, had a whole bunch of different things. So I guess I would try it. Right, last question. I heard you in a previous interview, it's, you know, months old at this point, but the thing that caught my ear was free thermometers. Does USDA right. and FSIS give out free thermometers? We do. So it's part of an outreach effort that we have for consumers. Um, also just hope mostly to help consumers actually have one. So they'll use one, <laughs> you know, food thermometers are widely accessible nowadays for a relatively low cost, but it doesn't mean that everybody can still access one. So we do have those available for consumers free of charge. We are currently not we don't have any in stock because we had a huge push at Thanksgiving, but mm. we are hoping to get our stock back up soon. And then we will have those available for anybody who's interested. They're a free resource. We also have other things like internal temperature magnets that you can stick on your fridge, shows you all the internal temperatures for different food products. And then we also have a few other publications as well. So depending on what you're looking for, we can help make sure you get some of that value, valuable information in your home. So you go to USDA.gov for that? Yes. So you can go, actually, you can contact the meat and poultry hotline. So that's 1-888-674-6854 or email mphotline at usda.gov. They'll help get you set up with one and any other information that you're requesting. We also, I mean, it is our live uh, food safety hotline, essentially, where you can also ask some questions or if you have food safety questions, they're happy to help there as well. Meredith Carruthers is the public affairs specialist at the Food Safety and Inspection Service, the website usda.gov. Meredith, appreciate you coming on tonight, sharing all this great information and continued success. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to hopefully coming back soon. You got it. That's Meredith right there. First time we've had the government on, so cheers for me again. And if you're looking for a free instant read meat thermometer, use the information that she gave you. And once I, I assume they're waiting for a ship or a cargo container of some sort, maybe they ran into a computer chip issue like everybody else was running into. Once those are back in line, then you can go ahead and get yourself a free meat thermometer. And as she said, they have... The meat magnets, uh, Meathead puts uh, an AmazingRibs.com uh, meat thermometer or uh, meat temperature magnet out as well. I believe those are free. Maybe they're minimal cost over there as well. So whatever trips your trigger, go ahead and make sure that you're safe and you have all the great information. All right. We're going to get ready to wrap up this first hour. We'll... Review some of your instant chats here, and then we can take it from there. What do we love about ceramic cookers? Well, we love that they're fuel efficient. 
We love that you can achieve low and slow temperatures for traditional barbecue meats. We love that you can get ripped, roaring hot for traditional barbecue. I'm sorry, for traditional grilling meats like steaks and hot dogs, other thin cuts. But what's missing in the everyday lineup of ceramic cookers? The real ability to do true two-zone cooking. Very important to both professional and backyard cooks alike. It's the best way to manage a fire and cook with confidence. However, getting a two-zone fire in a round ceramic cooker is not very realistic. Why? Because it's round. And a Primo grill or game-changing oval design, the shape gives you the ability to execute a two-zone setup that you want. It also gives you the other ceramic grill benefits as well. Really, when you break it down, there's more than 60 different ways to configure the Primo cooker. So you're only limited by your culinary imagination. They do have a number of accessories to complete your Primo Grill experience, like the Primo Grill Rotisserie, the Primo Grill Pizza Accessory, just to name a few. So the bottom line is this. They have the best ceramics in the biz. They have patented technology. They have true two-zone cooking capabilities. They have multiple sizes of ovals, and they're sold through dealers only. So find a dealer near you by visiting the website primogrill.com. Then visit the dealers, see the different size ovals that they have, and then pick the oval that's right for you. And then all the accessories, of course, they should have them there at the dealer, and then you're ready to rock and roll. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram. The website, once again, primogrill.com, and we're back to wrap the first hour right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. All right, welcome back. We thank Meredith Carruthers from the FSIS for joining us last segment, USDA.gov, the website, and Instagram at USDAGOV. All one word. By the way, previous to that was Bradley Robinson from Chud's Barbecue, and he's at Chud's BBQ if you want to follow him through social media. And make sure you subscribe to his YouTube channel as well because that's fun. I think at last count, did I check right? Joe Martinez, a.k.a. Smokin' Joe's Pit Barbecue, has more YouTube subscribers currently than Chud's Barbecue. So look at that. Picking the stars, doing it the right way. Some feedback from the show last week and in subsequent weeks. I got a lot of email talking about a portion of the topic that Meathead and I were talking about in the first hour last Tuesday, which was Koji. Many of you mentioned that you were going to hit Amazon and buy one of those two forms of Koji that Meathead showed us and give it a try on steaks or butter. I believe Meathead had Koji in a rice pack 
And then there was Koji in the bottle that had, uh, I don't even remember what the name was, Shohi Koji or whatever. You could just, it was already inoculated and, and blossomed using terms that aren't correct for Koji. I apologize. But the rice one you had to get going and give it a week. The other one that came out of the bottle was just ready to pour over whatever the hell you want to pour it on. Now, I have reached out to Koji Master, who also happens to be here in Cleveland, Ohio. Jeremy Umansky, owner of Larder Delicatessen in Hinchtown, to see if he can book a segment to talk a little bit further and deeper about Koji, its uses, and perhaps more importantly, to see if Koji can be used on any of the traditional barbecue meats. We've talked about steak. Meat had talked about butter. I believe on Larder's menu on Friday, there was Koji Lemonade not kidding i can only imagine what that would taste like so i want to talk to jeremy and say hey koji ribs i would say koji brisket has a pretty good chance as well well look at this the ever honest abe and by abe i mean joe Smoking Joe's Pit Barbecue has 214,000 subscribers. Brad has 243,000 subscribers. So just a shade away from each other, but Brad has surpassed Joe. However, Joe is part of our quarterly 2023 podumentary that many of you also had great attraction with last week. I got a ton of great feedback on the aforementioned Joe Martinez segment. Everyone looking forward to hearing his upcoming segments through the course of 2023. I love that Joe didn't hold back during the segment last week. I think that's what makes these types of segments really great is when the guest is willing to come on and then just give out all the information, all the experience that they have. So the folks that are looking to get into this or possibly considering getting into this lifestyle. Joe left a big corporate job. It sounded like he was doing really well. Was it 20 years or something like that? That's that's hard to do. I don't know if I would have the testicular fortitude to leave somewhere after 20 plus years and start a food trailer on top of it, especially here in Cleveland because it's cold. Joe maybe gets away with it a little bit because it's probably warmer through the year than it is up here, but that is quite the undertaking. A lot of balls. Certainly appreciate it. So we'll be looking for Joe in April to get the second of his four reports of 2023. Other show feedback from past weeks. Lance in Hawaii, realtor to the stars. Congratulations to Sam, the cooking guy, on becoming a official U.S. citizen. That is some serious shit. Regards, Lance. Rob in Canada writing in. Greg, listen to the segment with Cal Phelps and decided that I'm signing up for the NBBQA annual conference regards Rob. Good for you, Rob. Hope you have fun there. Middle of February, I would assume in Canada, it's going to be much warmer in Florida. I can't guarantee that, but I would assume that's going to be much warmer there in the Orlando area. Jerry in Oklahoma writing in Greg loved, loved, loved the smoking Joe's barbecue segment. I have been one of those guys who's been given thought to doing something like this, but I'm too scared to pull the trigger to go all in on it. Joe is inspiring me to give it more thought. 2023. Rusty was great last year, too. Maybe 2024 will be the year I do the barbecue trailer thing. 
Looking forward to the other three segments coming in 2023. Love the show. Podcast only. Regards, Jerry. Jerry, appreciate you writing in and giving your thoughts as well. So, little reaction to the show here over the last few weeks or so. We are pointing to the second hour. Refresh libations, and we'll be right back. Stick around.